0: Father, again, we just come to you as, as we look at this text and we look at the mark of Cain. Lord, uh, help us as we study this scripture and we, we meditate on this text, Lord. Uh, show us what the spiritual implications are of this mark. Uh, because, Lord, as we're going to see, uh, anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior carries this mark on them. And uh, that mark uh, is, is not a good thing, Lord. And uh, we... Ask that you just show us the implications of this mark, the spiritual implications of this mark, Lord. And we thank you so much. One of the things we're going to see in this text is just how merciful you are, Lord. We all know that. And and we're so grateful for the mercy that you've shown all of us. And, Lord, you offer that mercy to every human being on this earth through your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I just ask today if there's someone here who isn't truly uh, born again, who truly doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that, Lord, you touch their heart uh, and they open their ears to hear this message uh, so, Lord, that, that they, they can uh, enter into a real relationship with you. And, Lord, for those of us who do know you, Lord, texts like this just remind us of how much we have to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. Just, just all the mercy that you've shown us. Lord, because all of us deserve wrath. And it's only through the grace of Jesus Christ that, that we find salvation and we find true life that, that you give us through him. Father, we just praise you and thank you. For our Savior, we uh, thank you in his precious name, I pray, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, and we'll be in chapter number four today. Chapter number four, and we'll be picking up in verse number nine. Chapter four, verse number nine. Uh, If you remember last week, when we left off, uh, we had begun the story of Cain and Abel. And if you remember, I told you, Cain represents the seed of the serpent, and Abel represents the seed of the woman. Uh, The seed of the woman is the seed of faith, the people of faith, godly people. The seed of the serpent uh, represents ungodly, worldly, lost people. And as we left off last week, uh, uh, at the end of the chapter, we, we saw Cain do to Abel what Uh, the seed of the serpent has been doing since that time. He killed his brother. And uh, as we learned last week, at the root of that terrible sin was his self-righteousness and his pride. This idea that uh, somehow he didn't need the grace of the Lord. Satan had had planted that seed in his heart. He had planted bitterness and anger in his heart. And Cain believed that he was a pretty good person. He believed that uh, he was, I think he thought he was better than Abel. Uh, he, was, he felt that I'm a hardworking farmer and Abel was just a sheep herder dealing with those nasty sheep. And, and I think he thought he was better than his parents. I think he said in his heart that, that, you know, I would have never done what my parents did. I would have never ate of that fruit in the garden and, and caused this mess that we're in. I think there are a lot of people in this world today that say to themselves, You know, I don't really need the Lord because I'm a pretty good person, and and you know, Adam and Eve uh, had put us in this mess that we're in. But I never would have eaten of that fruit. Believe me, it's given enough time, uh, and uh, the right temptation, and we're all capable of some doing some really dark and terrible things. And that's what uh, Cain did when he murdered his brother. God sees the heart. Uh, Cain thought his heart was good, but God saw his heart, and the heart is desperately wicked, and God sees that. He looks at our hearts, and he sees the fact that we have potential for great sin. That's why when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount uh, in the beginning of the the Gospel of Matthew, uh, he stated over and over again in different ways that, that what's in your heart is what's important. It's not so much what you do because give it enough time in the right circumstances and you're going to act on that poison that's in your heart. That's why he said if you're angry with your brother uh, without just cause, you're in danger of judgment. You're in danger of murdering your brother because in in your heart you have murdered your brother. He also said if you look at a woman with lust then you've already committed adultery. Because given enough time and given the right circumstances and the right temptations, we're going to act on that poison in our hearts. And that's what Cain did when he killed his brother uh, Abel. But before he killed his brother, God came to him and he warned him. And he told him, he said, Cain, you you, you know, the reason I didn't accept your offerings were... That your offerings were given on the basis of works instead of faith, and he warned Cain that sin is crouching at your door, and if you don't deal with it, it's going to end up ruling you. You've got to deal with the sin that your heart—that's in your heart. That's what, thats true for all of us. We all have desperately wicked hearts, and we all need to deal with that sin. And we don't have the ability to overcome that evil that's in our heart. Only God can do that through faith in Jesus Christ. So God rebuked Cain, and Cain got really angry. He got really angry at God because he, he knew what God was saying. God was telling him, hey, you're a sinner, and you'd better deal with your sin. And Cain didn't want didn't to hear that. And so uh, when his brother Abel came to convince him that he was wrong, he killed his brother and... Uh, Uh, brutally killed him and uh, he uh, committed the first murder that we saw on this earth so you look back at this situation here was Adam and Eve and all they did now you stop and think about their sin all they did was take a bite of a piece of fruit in the garden that doesn't sound so bad Well, we look at the condition of the world today and we see just how bad it is you look at Cain, you, you know, the first sin that he committed that we see in the Bible, Bible that's recorded for us in the Bible is the fact that he brought an offering of good works instead of an offering of faith, and that doesn't seem so bad because he worked hard for those fruits and vegetables that he, he brought to the Lord. He, he worked hard for that, and so it doesn't seem so bad, but now you look at the repercussions of his sin and Adam's and Eve's sin, and, and at Cain's brother, Abel is lying in a pool of blood, uh, dead. And so we just see how bad sin can really be. And that's the story that we're going to be looking at as we carry on in in chapter 4 of Genesis. So go with me to verse number 9. Picking up in verse number 9 of Genesis chapter 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said to him, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, you just follow the process that, 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 that's take, going, taking place in Cain's life. And you can see he's going downhill really fast. I mean, first of all, he offers up this sacrifice of good works. Second of all, he ignores the, uh, God's word. God gives him a clear warning that sin is crouching at your door and you'd better deal with it. But he ignores that warning. He gets mad at God. And now he's murdered his brother. Now look what he does next in verse number nine. He lies to God Almighty. And he's more prideful than ever. I mean, it's as if Cain says to his creator, who are you to question me? I mean, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, I don't know where he is. Well, obviously, he also had, like his parents, he had some bad theology, didn't he? I mean, he didn't understand the attributes of God. He didn't understand that God was omnipresent and God was omniscient. So God was there when he murdered his brother. He he, he could see him when he murdered his brother. Uh, He knew he hes omniscient, so he knew he had murdered his brother. And God is absolutely holy. Cain didn't understand that. He didn't understand how unholy he was and how holy God is. And... he. The reason he didn't understand God is because he had separated himself from God because he didn't approach God in in God's prescribed manner. He tried to approach him through his own self-righteousness, through his own goodness. And he also didn't understand that God is love and that he wants his people to be creatures of love. Because he wouldn't have said, am I my brother's keeper? Because the Lord would say, you are your brother's keeper. I mean, one of the greatest commandments of all is that we love our brothers and our sisters and one another as we love ourselves. And so it was his brother's keeper. And so uh, in verse number 10, the Lord says to him, he answers him, he says, "Uh, what have you done? I mean, the Lord knew what he had done. He's trying to get him to confess. He's trying to invoke a confession out of him. And he says, the voice of your your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, Cain could silence the prophetic voice of his brother, but he couldn't silence his brother's blood on the ground. God saw it pouring out on the ground, and it spoke to God. It said to God, I've been murdered, and uh, now the Lord is going to avenge Abel's blood. And and we're going to see how as we look at this uh, next verse. Now, you would think, You would think, if I was God, what would I have done to Cain? I just would have killed him right away. But God doesn't kill him. Why didn't God kill him? Because God is full of mercy. God is going to let Cain live another 800 years after he killed his brother. And and the reason God does that, we're told in Romans Romans 9 that that God endures the vessels of wrath with long-suffering. Now, God knew that Cain was never going to repent, but he still gave him 800 years to repent. He knows that most of the people on this earth are never going to repent and come to him, but he still gives us life. He still gives us time. You see people live to 100, and and they live that entire 100-year life rebelling against God, and God gives them that chance because God loves them and God's merciful and he wants them to come to repentance. But most people don't. Uh, The second reason that he allowed Cain to live those 800 more years, Cain lived to be 910 years old, is to let Cain's life work itself out. To let him have his children, let him live his life, uh, and let everyone see just where a sinful life leads you. Because let me tell you where Cain was heading. Cain was heading for death. Cain and his descendants were heading for a flood. There was only like three generations of, of people who lived before the flood came, three generations after Adam and Eve. Most people at that time were living to be 900, 800, 900 years old. And so, so the flood took place in, in uh 2000 years after Adam and Eve sinned and so basically there were two maybe two a little over two generations that lived, and so Cain's allowed to live just so we can take a look at him and see where all of this is heading what happens when you lead a sinful life and why God doesn't let us after the flood he, he cut the lifespan back to 70 years instead of 700 years all right now look with me at verse number 11 he says so now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now that's interesting because God had already cursed the earth. You remember that? When Adam and Eve fell, he cursed the earth and he put thorns and thistles on the earth. And he said, by the sweat of your brow, uh, you'll grow your crops. And, and so the earth is already cursed, but it's going to even be worse for Cain now he, because of, he shed his brother's blood. And so... Uh, because the earth is stained with his brother's blood then Cain's going to have an even worse curse laid upon his life. Then pick up with me in verse number 12. He says, "When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you." Now this that's interesting. Here was Cain and Cain was his farmer, he was a very successful farmer. And he actually even though the earth was cursed and there were thorns and thistles, Cain produced lots of crops. And he he was a good farmer. And he was very successful at farming. But he thought that his success came from his own strength and from his own righteousness. Do you know any people like that today? People who are so blessed by God, but yet they think those blessings are coming through their own strength. I'm going to tell you what. That's a picture of the United States of America today. We have a nation full of people who... Godless people who believe that we're blessed just because we're so smart and, and we work so hard. Uh, that's not the case. I tell you what, we, if, if God didn't want to, we wouldn't breathe our next breath. I mean, everything we have uh, comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so uh, here is Cain, and Cain is thinking... You know, man, I'm I'm a really good farmer. I'm doing a really good work, and now I'm going to give God some of my good works, and God didn't want his good works. What God wanted from Cain was a humble heart, a grateful heart, a heart that thanked him for all the things that he had. And so no longer is he going to have it as easy as he had it before. Going back to verse number 12, he says, When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. And then he tells him, and, and, and God's not making him a fugitive and a bag, vagabond here. He's telling him that's what you're going to be. And the reason you're going to be that is because you're going to try to till the ground. And the ground is going to be st- that you stain with Abel's blood is going to be even more cursed. And you're going to have a hard time finding fertile ground. And so you're going to be a vagabond and a fugitive out looking for fertile ground. And you're never going to find it. And so he says when you till the ground it shall no longer yield its strength to you a fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have killed my brother. I'm a scumbag. I really need your grace. He doesn't say that. Listen to what he says. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Is that that the voice of a repentant heart? No. Listen, Listen to what else he says. Surely you, have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. You've caused this problem, Lord. And and I I believe at this point Cain hates God. I believe he hates him. He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't dare say that, but but I believe in his heart, if you dug deep in his heart, he hated God. He says, poor me, I shall be, and I think he's crying at this point, I shall be hidden from your face, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me, or they're going to want to kill me. I'm going to have a price on my head. Now, what should Cain's response have been in this case? He should have said, Lord, thank you for your mercy. I killed my brother. I'm sorry I killed my brother. Thank you that you're not going to kill me. And, 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 and he should have said, I deserve whatever you give me. But he doesn't say that. He he should have repented and asked for forgiveness, but he doesn't do that. And and all he does, he complains. He complains and he questions the Lord's judgment. And so he says, woe is me. He said, this is more than I can bear. You've driven me from my home, and more importantly, you've driven me away from you. And now everybody's going to want to kill me. And I think all he's concerned about at this point is his survival. But God didn't drive Cain away. Cain drove himself away from God by refusing to approach God by faith. Anybody who doesn't approach God by faith drives themselves away from the face of God. And so, again, all Cain's concerned about is his price on his head and and his own survival. Look at verse number 15. He says, And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain... Vengeance shall be on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him shall, should kill him. Now, Cain's going to wish he had been killed before he lives out that next, hundred, eight, next 800 years of his life. Because he, most of those years of his life, he's going to live under a terrible curse. And, and nobody's going to kill him, though. Nobody's going to kill him Because if they kill him, the Lord promises they're going to have a fate seven times worse than Cain's. And the Lord makes this warning visible by putting a mark on Cain's head. Now, what is that mark? I mean, it might have been a big black circle. Uh, Some people uh, have designed a mark that they think is the mark of Cain. Uh, Some people say it's the color of his skin. I don't believe that at all. Uh, some people, uh, there's been all sorts of speculation as to what the mark was that God gave Cain that he placed on his forehead. We don't know what that mark is. Nobody knows what that mark is. But that mark has spiritual implications for all of us. I mean, the mark had a purpose. The mark had a big purpose. And that was to warn anybody, first of all, not to, to kill Cain, but it was also there, a warning there, to warn people not to follow in the footsteps of Cain, and that was the most important warning, and that's the warning that uh, we want to look at here a little bit later on when we get to to the conclusion, so so hang on a few minutes, and we'll get there. Now, let's pick up, let's go back to verse number 16. It says, then in verse number 16, it says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. remember That word east, again, really means the edge of Eden. You have to remember that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and Adam and Eve and Abel and, and uh, Cain and the whole family hung out around that place where they had been kicked out and that's where they worshipped the Lord. But now you see Cain and he's going out from the presence of the Lord and he's going even further east of Eden. He's going either even further away from the presence of the Lord. Now, where was the presence of the Lord? The presence of the Lord was in Eden. It, the, Eden was the garden of God. And Mount Zion was next to that garden. And every day, the Lord would walk over there before Adam and Eve sinned, and he would walk with them, and he would talk with them, and he would fellowship with them, and he had them placed in that garden. And so, when they were kicked out, they were on the edge of the garden, and now Cain is forced to move away from the edge of the garden and he goes to the land of Nod. Now, that's interesting, because the word Nod simply means wandering. And I don't believe this is a geographical location, so I wouldn't capitalize the word there. It's not capitalized in the Hebrew. I believe it's just a description of what his life's going to be at this point. He's going to live in the land of wandering. In in the land of wandering. Why, Why does he live in the land of wandering? Everyone, everyone who doesn't come to God through Jesus Christ, through the blood, through the atonement, like Abel was trying to do when he offered up that shed blood of those lambs. Everyone who doesn't come to God and approach God in his prescribed manner lives in a land of wandering. I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I lived in the land of not. I mean, I wandered around through life not knowing where I was going, what I was doing, what I was going to do next. I had no hope. And that's where everyone lives that has this mark of Cain. And so, so uh, here is Cain, and, and uh, he's going to spend a lifetime wondering. But you know what? What did God do at that point? God didn't move. God was still in Mount Zion. I mean, and all Cain would have had to do done was to turn around and go back and approach God in the prescribed manner to recognize that he was a sinner, to recognize how desperately wicked his heart was, to recognize that God didn't want his good works. What God wanted was his love and and to approach God through faith and God would have been right there, right there in Mount Zion where he lives forever, where he sits on his throne. And if he would have repented and turned back to him, uh, then he would have not been a wanderer the rest of his life. You know, that's true for all of us. God doesn't move. God never moves. God is right there. He's right there on his throne, and he's waiting for us to repent, to turn from our sin and turn to him and to worship him through Jesus Christ. And so so if you're living a life of wondering, that's not because of God, it's because of you, and that's what the reason Cain was living that life. All right, now going on to verse number 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived, and she bore Enoch, which means dedicated. Now, this is not the Enoch that we're going to see in uh, chapter number 5. This is not one of the descendants of of, uh, Seth. This is the descendant of Cain. And the reason his name is dedicated is because there was a city dedicated to him. So he's, 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 he's not the good Enoch, he's the bad Enoch. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of that city uh, after the name of his son Enoch. Now, critics, critics love to pounce on this passage. Uh, at this point, they ask the question. I'm talking about biblical critics. They ask the question, where did Cain get his wife? Because if you look at the genealogy at this point, there aren't any women in the genealogy. Well, that question's easy to answer. I believe he got his, I mean, there's no doubt he got his wife from one, from one, of, his, from one of his sisters or from one of his nieces. Cain had lived about 150 years by that time, and so he had lots of sisters. Lots of brothers, and some others had probably married and had families, and so uh, they had, nie- they had ch- daughters, and they were his nieces. And so he got his uh, wife from one of his grown sisters or one of his grown nieces. Now, why don't you see these women in the genealogy? We're going to see this as we carry on in Genesis, that the genealogies in the Bible don't include every name. They often don't include the name of the woman, they include the name of the man, but they don't include all the names of all the men who are in that genealogy. You take, for instance, when you get, instance, when you get to the genealogy of David, when you get to the genealogy of David, it will say David, the son of Jesse. Well, J- Jesse had a lot more sons than just David, but David is the only one that appears in that genealogy. And what we're going to see when we see these genealogies, we're going to get the genealogy of an evil person, And that genealogy is going to carry on for a while, maybe hundreds of years, like the genealogy of Cain. And then that genealogy is going to be cut short. It's going to end. Cain's genealogy ended with the flood. We don't see Cain's genealogy anymore because Cain's genealogy wasn't carried on anymore. And so these genealogies are cut off, and and sometimes they continue on, but they're cut off in the Bible because we see the names that we need to see. we see We get the lessons that we need to get. And what's the genealogy that carries on? It's the genealogy of David and then the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so that's the genealogy that you're going to see that carries on through the Bible. But even those genealogies are missing some names. And so we don't have the names of the sisters of, 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 of Cain, but he had sisters, and no doubt he married one of his sisters. Well, doesn't the Mosaic law say that you're not supposed to marry your sister, you're not supposed to marry your first cousin, you're not supposed, you are not know, there's, uh, your sister's not supposed to marry a brother? It does say that. But at this point in time, there weren't the congenital defects that were around when the law was given. In fact, even after the flood, there weren't those congenital effects until later on because Abraham married Sarah, who was his half-sister. It's not until we get to the Mosaic Law that God forbids incest. But up until then, it was allowed, and, and the reason God forbids it at that point is because of the congenital defects that are in the line of... Of the genealogy and so God didn't allow it after that point now Cain at this point going back to this verse it's interesting look at what he does he's a wanderer he's living in the land of Nod, and he's, decide- he's decided he's tired of wandering so what's he gonna do in defiance of God he builds himself a city now let me ask you this question if you've ever lived in a big city does your wandering end when you move to a city no and Cain's wandering didn't end for him either. And so even though he was in defiance of, of the Lord, he didn't, uh, he, in, in building the city, uh, he didn't end his wandering. All right, now, and, and look at the repercussions of all of this, beginning at verse number 18. And we get, the, we get into this genealogy of Cain. It says that Enoch was born Erad, and Erad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methushel, and Methushel begot Lamech. Brandon, how did I do with that? That's not bad. Okay, thanks. Then, you're going to get revenge here if we carry on in Genesis. Brandon's having to do all the genealogies in, in Kings, and I'm going to tell you, there's some difficult names in there. So I pick on him about it sometimes. So he's, he's, he's watching me real carefully here now. It says, Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ida, and the name of the second was Jil. Oh, there you go, Brandon. Jilla. I guess I got that right. Okay, we'll stop there and take a break. All right. Now, let's look at the name Lamech for a minute. It means conqueror, and that's really what Lamech was. I mean, his name, his name fits who he was, no doubt about it, because we're going to see just from this little bit of information that we get about Lamech that he was a self-centered, godless murderer uh, who ran over anybody or anything to get what he wanted. He's that kind of person. You can see that just with this little tidbit of information we get about him. And right away we see how godless he is because look what he does. He takes two wives in, in defiance of, of God's ideal for a marriage, which is one man and one woman. He takes two wives. And then we go on in and, and verse number 20, and we look at the descendants of, of Lamech. And it says, And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents, and have livestock. The word "Jabel" means nomad, so that fits 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 perfectly. Uh, he's just like his his grandfather Cain. Uh, he's he's a, he's a wanderer, and he's going to wander out in the in the desert, uh, out in the wilderness. And his brother's name was Jubal. Uh, Jubal means sound or celebration, and that fits because he was the father of those who played the harp and the flute. Now, you start looking at all of this, and this, is, this antediluvian society was a pretty advanced society. I mean, they, they, uh, they had livestock. They had cattle farmers. They were farmers. Uh, they also played music. Uh, they weren't carrying Stone Age weapons and, and living in caves, not at all. Uh, then look at verse number 22. You can see something else here that tells you a little bit about that society. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. So, so they were doing all sorts of metallurgy at that point, uh, which means they were building buildings. Uh, no telling what they were building. Some people uh, believe that they had airplanes and cars, and maybe they were more advanced the society in which we live in now. We don't know because that society was destroyed and covered up by the flood. But now look at... Uh, well, let me finish. It says, and his, the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. and That's interesting that we get the name of this one lady here. I don't know why, but her name means pleasant. And then in verse 23, it says, Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. And he writes this poem. Uh, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, and even a young man I have killed for hurting me. I'm adding a little bit there to get you to get it into context. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. Now, you see what he's doing right here? It's almost as if he's mocking God. He's definitely taunting God. I mean, what he's saying is, Lord, you cursed Cain. You cursed him. And put a mark on his head, and you said that anybody that killed him, you would avenge sevenfold. Well, guess what? I've killed two people. So I guess if anybody kills me, you're going to avenge them, avenge me 70fold. And so it's almost like he's daring God. It's almost like he's saying, I can go right on sinning, and I can go right on killing, and there's not anything that God's going to do about it. In fact, the more I kill, uh, the more God's going to protect me. And, and he knows that's not the case. But he says that because he thinks he's bigger than God. Where did he get that from? Where did he get that godless attitude? He got that godless attitude from Cain. And so here's Lamech. Now, you've got to think about this again. Lamech probably lived 900 years like his father lived. Well, that's right at the time when the flood came. His sons probably, oh, Tubal, Cain, and Jabal, and, and Jubal, probably, and his daughter, uh, Naomi, they probably all died in the flood. And they died, no doubt, based upon what we see right here, and I don't think uh, we see anything different from that, they died godless. They died godless, selfish, violent people. And that fits the description that God gives of the society in the day that the flood came. Because remember what the Lord says, and we'll see this when we get to Genesis 6. He says that in that day, every, every thought of their heart was on evil continually. And so the whole earth was filled with violence. And so we see Cain, all, it's, this starts out, and all Cain does was, at, at the beginning was reject God's way of approaching him. Why does God have that way to approach him? Why does God want us to approach him through blood? Because there's life in the blood. And that life is what we need to have the life that overcomes sin. And we have to have a payment for our sin, and that blood pays for our sin. And if Cain would have accepted that uh, way of approaching God, all of this probably wouldn't happen. But he rejects God's way of approaching God, so so he becomes a godless man. And when you become godless and you're poisoned by the seed of the serpent, then you do all sorts of evil things. Your children become evil, and then the whole world eventually becomes evil. And that's what God wants us to see as we look at this passage. And so here we go, here we are. We're at the end of, we won't pick up on 25 today, but we're at the end of the life and genealogy of Cain, and look where it's brought us to. It's brought us to the flood. So I want to go back as we finish up here, and I want to revisit this mark of Cain. Now, again, we don't know what that mark was physically, but we do know what that mark was spiritually. Let me tell you what that mark is. That mark represents the wrath of God. The wrath of God abiding on Cain or anyone else who is at enmity with God, who doesn't approach God through blood. There's power in the blood. There's salvation in the blood. And if you try to approach God any other way, then you abide in the wrath of God. Now listen to what John say, What Jesus says in John 3.36, or John says this in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son, who does not put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ for their salvation, he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It lives on him. We live in a world where the wrath of God is abiding on most of the people on this earth because most of the people on this earth have rejected Jesus Christ. Now, Cain was alive, but he didn't see life, not the abundant life. I mean, he who does not believe on the Son or he who doesn't approach God in God's way shall not see life. Cain was alive for 900 years, but he didn't have life. He was dead spiritually, so so he was selfish, and he was evil, and he was wicked, and and so the only way he could have changed that, and God gave him 900 years to change it, was to approach God in, in the right manner, now, you don't need a physical mark to recognize the people who are living at enmity with God, you just look at the spiritual mark. That's all you have to do. And you can see the wrath of God abiding on them. I mean, first of all, like Cain, they're not the seed of the woman. They're the seed of the serpent. They're the seed of the devil. They're poisoned by the works of the devil. They're poisoned by their own evil life. Whereas the seed of the woman it comes, the seed of the woman, you're part of the seed of the woman if you come to God by faith. Now, now John describes this, let me, a lot better than I'm doing right now, but go with me over to 1 John. Go over to 1 John chapter 3. And listen to John's description of this mark. This mark of the seed of the serpent versus the seed of of the woman the seed of people who are poisoned with the wickedness of the serpent versus, versus the people who are living righteously by the power of God now that's John describes this over in 1st John chapter 3 1st John's at, at the end of your Bible real close to Revelation uh, pick up in, uh, in chapter 3 and look with me in verse number 10 it says in this the children of God and the children of of the devil are manifest. Who are the children of God? The children of God are the seed of the woman. Who are the children of the devil? They're the seed of the serpent. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Now listen to this carefully. Very carefully. Whoever does not practice righteousness. Did you get that? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not... Of God now nor is he who does not love his brother now the way that the way that plays out unrighteousness plays out in the way we treat others and that's why he adds to that who does not love his brother he says but this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another not as Cain who was of the wicked one he was of the seed of the serpent and he murdered his brother and why did he murder his brother Watch this. This is why he murdered his brother. Because he had a wicked heart and he didn't do anything about that wicked heart. Because look what it says. Because his works were evil. In other words, those good works, those things that he thought he was doing good, his hard work on his farm, he thought he was being righteous by bringing those crops to God. They were evil because they were rooted in pride and self-righteousness. And God will not take an offering that's rooted in pride and self-righteousness. And so, he says, and his brothers were righteous. Why were his brothers' works righteous? Because they were rooted in humility and faith. In other words, if your, work, if your religious works are rooted in real faith in Jesus Christ, you humbly come to him and recognize the fact that you're a sinner and you need a savior, uh, then, then God accepts those works and you're considered righteous in God's eyes. So, when you look at this murder of Abel that Cain committed, it was only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, he was an evil man, and every day he lived, after he moved away from the face of God, he didn't get better and better. He got worse and worse, worse and worse, until he, until he finally died, and his family got worse and worse. He, he had an unrighteous heart that was incapable Of doing good. It was only capable of doing evil. Only, listen to me very carefully, only a heart changed by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith is capable of doing the works of God. Because what are the works of God? Jesus said he narrowed it down to one commandment. And what was that commandment? That we love one another. How do we love one another? Not in our own flesh. We we can only love one another by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So we must be born again. All right. So that's one mark uh, that 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 you that like Cain. A lot of people in this world are of the seed of the devil. They're you know you don't tell them that they'll get mad at you. I don't know if you need to tell them that, but that's 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 the truth. And and, and, and then there's those who are born again who are of the seed of the woman. But uh, the mark of Cain is the seed there these people are of the seed of the devil. Okay, and then the second mark that, that I see here in this text, uh, another spiritual mark of Cain is that they're wanderers. You want to you find a person who really doesn't know God? They're wanderers. They wander through life without rhyme or reason, without purpose. They, they, they do what they want to do when they want to do it. Uh, they have no regard for the will of God. They don't look to God for their guidance. They don't look to God for their salvation. They just wander through life doing their own thing. There are a lot of people in churches today who are wanderers. Let me tell you what. It, 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 that's the mark of Cain. If it's a spiritual mark of Cain. If you're, you're, if you're leading living your life without any regard for the will of God, I've got to question whether or not you're of the seed of the woman, whether or not you're of faith. Because people of faith live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They go where the Lord wants them to go. They do what the Lord wants them to do. I see people all the time that wander in and out of church. This applies to church too. And they come for a while, and then they, they go away for a while, they come for a while. But really, they're just wandering through life, doing their own thing. And if that's your life, that's a sign that you're carrying the spiritual mark of Cain, that you're still under the wrath of God. And you see those people, and, and they run into all sorts of problems in their life. They have We all have problems. In this world, we all have tribulations. But they have tribulations that that God could prevent if they were living life under his direction but they live life according to their own will and if you're living life according to your own will you're really not under the lordship of christ i don't believe you have to make jesus lord to get saved because hey you don't make jesus lord jesus is lord but if you're saved you're gonna make him lord of your life that's just part of the process you love him and you want to live for him and you have his spirit and so you live in fellowship with him and so you want his guidance you want his direction in every area of your life now we all of us mess up sometimes and we do something on our own and we 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 find out real quickly that was a mistake but most of us who really know the lord we're seeking the lord for direction in our lives and if all you're doing is wandering through this life doing your thing and you can call yourself a christian all you want but but more than likely you're still under the wrath of god and i say that in love but if, but if you don't live in a relationship with God where God directs your life, then, then, then that's a bad sign. The other sign here that you see through Lamech is, or no, actually through Cain, he built cities. What did he build cities for? He built cities as humanistic monuments to his godlessness. And that's what most cities are. And, and don't get me wrong here. God loves the people in the cities. The problem with the cities isn't that God doesn't love the cities. The problem with the cities is that the people in the cities don't love God for the most part. There certainly are saved people in every city. I believe that. But for the most part, these big cities that we build are godless facades of pleasure, places where we, we, we almost stick our finger in the eye of God and say, we don't need you, God, and look at the monuments to how great... Uh, our, our human abilities are, we really don't need you. And so we, we, we build these cities and we, we build all of these places of pleasure and they're godless places of pleasure. And, and so, so, you know, the cities, you, you look at this last election, look, I, I take a look at a map of people who voted for some of the most terrible things that are going on, uh, on this, uh, in our country right now. And it com- it's coming from the cities because that's where most of the godless people are. Now, certainly there's some godless people in the country, too, but you're going to find more godly people per capita in the country than you are going to find in the city. I can tell you that right now. At least you're going to find more Republicans out there anyway. We'll put it that way. Now, I don't know if that, but that, there's certainly some ungodly Republicans, too. But God loves the cities. That's why he wants us in the city. I mean if it was up to me let me tell you where I'd be living right now now Lafayette's not a big city or anything like that but but I'd be living way out in the country as far away from all this as I could possibly get I'm trying to do that where I live now, now I'm not talking about from this church but I'm talking about from the city stuff I mean from from libraries opening up the library to to reading to three-year-olds that's what they do in cities they don't do that out where I live they they wouldn't do that out where I live it'd be dangerous to do that out where I live but, but uh, that's, that's, that's the way cities are. And, and then the next thing I see, the next mark that I see, this mark of Cain is like, Laman, like Lamech, they're, they're marked with total disregard for the sanctity of marriage and life. They don't care about life. I mean, Lamech jokes about killing people. Lamech has two wives. I mean, anything went for Lamech, anything he wanted to do, and that's the way it is in our society today. Anything goes. I mean, polygamy goes, adultery goes, fornication goes, homosexuality goes, murder goes. Wait a minute, murder's okay in our society? You better believe it's okay in our society. That's those 70 million babies that have been murdered in this country. When I was in Gulf Shores back when we... uh, Few weeks back a month or so back well i guess it's been a month now one night while we were there we went to see that movie gosnell i don't know anybody see that movie I mean, let me tell you you heard of this guy gosnell gosnell was he's considered you know it depends on who's rating this but he's considered the greatest i don't know if the greatest is the word but the one who proliferated the most murders ever in the United States of America. The greatest murderer ever, in the mass murderer ever in the United States of America. How did he murder? Let me tell you what he did. I, I'm, I'm watching this movie, and and this is based upon the case they had against him, and they come in and they raid his home, and while they're raiding his home, he goes to his piano, and he's playing He's a concert pianist, so he's playing like uh, uh, Bach music or something on his piano. While they're raiding his home and they're going through his home and they they open up his refrigerator and he's got jars full of babies' feet that he's cut off. And let me tell you what this guy was doing. He was delivering babies. He was delivering babies alive, then sticking scissors in the back of their neck and cutting their spine in the United States of America. And then they had a lady from, uh, what's the big abortion? Planned Parenthood that came on. And they had her on there, and she testified against him. And she said, we don't do that. If a baby's born alive, but before the baby's born, what we do, we go into the womb with triceps, and we stick a hole in in his head, and we suck out his brain. So, so we don't let the baby live. And, then they, and, and the uh, prosecutor asked her if had they ever ha- delivered any babies alive, and she said, oh, yes, but when, when, we, when we deliver a baby alive, we let them lay there and die in comfort. That's the United States of America. And you saw this trial that went on with, or not this trial, but this confirmation that hit, went on with Kavanaugh, and what all these people were producing all of these lies and arguments and legal cases against him, the reason they were doing that was because they want that murder to continue. They don't want that to stop. They, are, they were afraid that if he got into office that one day it would stop. And most of our society agrees with people like Gosnell and those people that attacked Kavanaugh. That's what a sad state we're in. You look at these last elections, and it doesn't look so good right now for the United States of America. We're living under the wrath of God. And how much longer God's going to be patient with us and merciful with us, I don't know. I hope it's a while for my sake and for your sake, but but, uh, at some point, the end's going to come. God's going to stop all of this. In his mercy, he's allowing it to go on for two reasons. Two reasons so that people will repent and the other reason for us to see just how bad things get when the human heart is not regenerated. When we're not saved. Just how terrible we really are when, we're, when we live outside of Jesus Christ. And then you look at this last uh, mark of Cain that we see in this text. I mean, how... Lamech reached the point where he even where he blasphemed and even mocked God uh, I'm going to tell you what, when you reach the point where you begin to mock Jesus Christ, I believe you've reached the point of no return because at that point you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit you've mocked the only one who could save you from your sin. You've you've rejected the only one who could save you from your sin. You look at, I'm not going to repeat. I went on the Internet when I was preparing this sermon. I was going to read you some of the things that are being said. But I don't want to repeat any of those things. You listen to what people like John Stewart say and Silverman and Kathy Griffin. Some of the things they say about Jesus Christ make your skin crawl. And, 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 And people love that stuff. They pay money to, to, to hear that stuff. We go to movies to hear the name of God and the name of Jesus Christ blasphemed over and over and over again. You know what? I've kind of drawn the line in this hand. Uh, if, if they're going to blaspheme Jesus, I'm not going to spend my money to go listen to it. Now, all of that should sound familiar because we live in a world that is marked for the wrath or marked. Yeah, for the wrath of God. But here's the good news, and Brandon mentioned this Wednesday night. We also are living in an age of grace where God is calling out a people for his own. And if our life is marked by bitterness, if our life, like Cain, and anger like Cain, if we're wandering uh, throughout this life without any purpose, I mean, if if, uh, we live in a city of people, and, and, and we're all alone. Let me tell you what happens. You know, I love what Isaiah says. They, they move the cities, and they build house upon house, lot upon lot, until they're all alone. You know, there are a world of people living in cities where there's millions and millions of people, and they're all alone. And so, so there's probably people in this room right now that feel all alone. I mean, if you're all alone, if you're if you're if you're you're bitter and you're angry and you're wandering through this life without God, I mean, if you've even blasphemed God, no matter what you've done, if you repent, God hasn't moved one inch. He's still right where he's always been. He's on his throne. And his arms are still wide open. And all you have to do if, if, if you want to, if you want a life, an abundant life that only Jesus Christ can give, if you want a purpose in your life, if you want to quit want through life, is to turn to Christ and approach God the way God wants you to approach Him, through His blood. Because He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God in Him. And only the holy will see God. And you can only be holy by the grace of God. Of God. Now, if you are saved, and I think most of the people in this room fit that bill, you don't have to look for something to thank God for this Thanksgiving. I mean, thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God that we know different from Cain. Abel was no different from Cain. Abel would have done the same thing Cain had done if he had approached God the way Cain approached God. Abel's in heaven and Cain's in hell. And, and we're like Abel. We've approached God through Jesus Christ and by God's mercy, he's covered our sin, he's perfected us forever, and we're going to live forever with him. And we walk with him now. He guides our life. He directs our life. Hey, and the wandering's over. Thank God. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father we just thank you for your word and we we thank you for most of all Lord uh, for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ we thank you for his blood and, and that was shed for us on Calvary and for his Holy Spirit that he gives those who appropriate that blood to their life and to their sin Lord and we thank you for that Holy Spirit that gives us the new life that allows us not to wander through this life anymore, not to ever be alone. Lord, we know that, that you will never leave or forsake those who love you and who have repented and turned to you. So Lord, we just thank you for all you've given us through Jesus Christ. We thank you in his precious name. I pray. Amen. Don't stand. We'll close this up.